You're listening to All Things Video, a podcast dedicated to uncovering the past and charting the future of the online video ecosystem. This episode is brought to you by Media Kicks, the leading influencer marketing agency. Media Kicks connects the world's top brands with engaged audiences through social media influencers. Their campaigns drive brand awareness, audience engagement, and product sales for top brands like Nordstrom, Blue Apron, David Yurman, Hallmark, and more. Visit MediaKicks.com to get started with your influencer campaign today. You're listening to All Things Video. I'm your host, James Creech, and today we're joined by an incredible entrepreneur and my friend, Fabienne Forquet. Fabienne is the co-founder and CEO of 2 b 2 one of the fastest-growing multi-channel networks for Spanish-language creators, with offices in Madrid, Miami, and Mexico City. Fabienne, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's my pleasure. So you began your career in marketing for A&E Television Network. How did you find your way into the digital space? So yeah, I started in New York in 2000, and I worked for A&E, which uh, is one of the biggest cable network in the U.S., and I did a lot of uh, marketing stuff, trade event organization, organizing the big trade show going to MIP, which is anecdotically why they wanted to have a French person on board, because the MIP happens twice a year in Cannes, and I really uh, like the team, like the international experience. It's a funny story, but first time I went to a digital conference with the, the Mobile World Congress, which at the time was called 3GSM, and was also in Cannes. And I was always fascinated with uh, technology and the uh, societal changes that technology brought uh, to people outside even of the media landscape. And when I went to uh, the 3GSM conference, I met amazing people. And it was the time when online video was starting. Uh, video on phones were starting, a lot, although a lot of people were not believing in it because they were just telling me that battery life should was the biggest issue and that we couldn't start doing more complicated things until batteries were improving. But I remember coming back from that conference and writing a, a long email on my BlackBerry at the time saying that this was really an area, and it was back in 2005, that I thought we should uh, invest time and energy because not a lot of content providers were present and there was a lot of... Uh, interest for media content around uh, mobile platforms. And that's when I realized that was kind of where I wanted my career to go because I met a lot of fascinating people. A lot of questions were about how people would consume content, how uh, these uh, devices would evolve, how it would change uh, the way the the media landscape and the media companies were uh, shifting and uh, what their direction would be. And that's when, with the help of uh, Sean Cohen, who was my boss at the time and who now is the boss of international and digital at A&E, we created the new little uh, international digital department with the goal to start distributing uh, programs on new platforms. Wow. So this was back in 2005, right when YouTube was nascent. What exactly. were some of the other important video platforms at the time? Uh, we did deals with, uh, at the time there was Orange, there was Vodafone. We did a big uh, worldwide deal with Microsoft, MSN Video. was one of the first, I had a really good relationship with those guys and we did a deal across uh, all English-speaking territories. Uh, Canada, US, UK, and uh, Southeast Asia. It feels like it was so long ago, right? Ten years ago, there was all the mobile carriers. There was stuff that we did with Nokia, with Ericsson, all the portals, which don't exist now. So the Yahoo, the MSN of this world. And then I uh, traveled a lot. I spent some time in Singapore and in Asia, in Japan and Korea in particular. There were a lot of... uh, 
local uh, portals as well that we did some uh, collaboration with. And basically the goal at the time for ANE for history was to enter into new territories through these new media platforms and to have the brand present and uh, the programs present. So it was a really, really interesting way to also evolve the distribution business internationally. And for me, it was just a very nice outlook around the world to see all these technology platforms being created and all these new business models raising because at the time no one was telling you what a deal was and what type of revenue you should make from it. It was all very nascent and it was a real definition of what business development is, which is really you create a contract from scratch and you invent the terms as you go along. And you have really a a global background, so that must have lent itself well to the international experience you had. Tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, I think uh, now that I'm, I'm French, Born in a little village in the south of France, 10 years in uh, New York, two years in Singapore, and then back to France and now back to the US in Miami. I have a really, yeah, not only international experience, but also experience dealing with different culture and countries and people. And in a way, digital is like that. It's also different culture, different models, and you need to just always be really open to listen to what people have to say because in every country where you go people will tell you you know Fabienne it's very different here it's very different in Italy it's very different in Mexico it's very different in Korea and it is so you and it is very different to what's happening in consumption in free video paid video so it kind of trains your brain to be listening and to be listening to the smart people who you meet the smart people who are around you and use that knowledge to not predict the future, but think about where the industry as a whole is going because you have, I'm lucky enough to have this global outlook on things. You're right. There are so many significant differences across <laughs> cultural. You have found practice. that out oh, too, no? <laughs> but at the same time, you notice a lot of similarities. Yeah, I'm absolutely. Sure that's been your experience too. Yeah, and the, the, the global landscape is actually, the world is a big place, but it's also a small place. And, and on YouTube, which is a very flat platform, as they say, you really see that. What we find out with our Spanish language experience is that sometimes it's not about where people are based or where they're from. But it's about what they talk about. Am I talking about video games? Am I talking about fashion? Of course, there is a lot of language barrier, but that's why English content is also so popular everywhere around the world, because sometimes there is no local content equivalent. So people are used to listen to a video gamer in English everywhere around the world. And the guy may be Swedish or maybe Italian or Mexican. If he has great content, he's going to have a worldwide audience. So at the same time, there are a lot of cultural differences because of politics, because of the state of the internet, because of the devices, the brands that are popular in every specific country. But on the audience side, it's a very global audience we're talking about. And the millennials in particular are much more global than what we were when we were 10 years old in terms of their cultural reference and And media consumption. Digital seems to be the greatest democratizing factor, right? Allowing audiences to view content all over the world and making language barriers or accent no longer an issue. Yeah, and two things about that point. One, what Bastian, the co-founder of 2BTube, will talk about that a little bit later, and me, uh, really believe uh, in and what we really find fascinating with YouTube and YouTubers is Exactly that, the democratization of not only the consumption, but also the content creation and the fact that now you don't need to have friends in television or in movies or buy expensive material to be able to broadcast yourself, right? And that's the smart tagline from YouTube. That's broadcast yourself. You can be on YouTube, you can be on you now, you can be on any type of platform on Snapchat. 
and share what you feel is your valuable experience. And that's why there is many more talents and content and a big variety, much more than there were in the years before. So I find that fascinating. And then same thing, the democratization of uh, language. And what we found out in Spanish is that, yes, there are really strong differences between Castellano, which is the Spanish from Spain, or Mexican or Argentinian, which is even a whole different language. But somehow, because these uh, kids, these millennials, they used to watch content in English, if they watch Spanish from a different country, it's not going to be as bad as for their parents who would need the content on TV, for instance, to be from the local Spanish uh, version. I don't know if you know, but even in Australia, on TV, you dub program coming from the UK in Australian. So that was the generation I, I grew up with. And that's when uh, I was working in TV, when everything was very local in that sense. And now it's much more global that even language barriers, content barriers are not uh, the same than they were like 10 years ago. So in 2010, you transitioned to Canal Plus, where you played a guiding role in their digital strategy. So around that time, you built several websites, social profiles, you were releasing second screen programming apps, and you launched an accelerator for media startups. Can I start? Yeah, tell us mm-hmm. a little bit more about that. So it was interesting because from a very digital business development role at a and I shifted to a more content-oriented role at Canal Plus. And then I shifted to a very French company too, which was quite interesting and more of a consumer-facing websites than a B2B activity, which was also absolutely fascinating. And the one thing that we learned after a few, uh, two years in the, in the job is that Despite the fact that the websites, the applications were some of the most successful media properties in France, I think CanalPlus.fr was top two or top three, depending on the month in terms of a number of video views and unique users. There were still these huge other platforms, which were YouTube at 1 billion views a month, Dailymotion at 100 million, and CanalPlus at the best month we were at 50, 60 million. And at some point, even after creating all these, uh, and we had really big social media footprint as well with more than 20 million fans on Facebook, for instance. But at some point, I was trying to figure out where the growth would come. And when I looked at this, you know, like some uh, consultant gave me a drawing where there was YouTube, which was like a huge sun. And then Canal Plus or therefore was like the moon, you know, in terms of sizes. I just realized, we just all realized that there was a whole other business out there. And because the goal of the website, of the web properties was mainly to market not only the free channel, but also the pay channel and CanalSat, which is the pay TV platform like Comcast, you want to talk to the majority of people because you want the, you know everyone to know your brand. And if you're limited to 10 million unique users and these users are getting older and the new younger ones, that are more and more on the other uh, platforms like YouTube, you have uh, not only are you shrinking the revenue potential, but you're also shrinking the marketing potential. So that's when we started thinking about YouTube. Mm, so you charge headlong into YouTube, <laughs> making early investments in Maker Studios and Studio Bagel. And then you launched an MCN of your own at Canal Plus that uh, scaled at 90 million monthly views. Yeah, the thing that was interesting is that, so when we opened the door or the Pandora box uh, onto YouTube, we started to go into looking at who was doing a good job with this this content and these audiences. And I remember my boss at the time, uh, Rodolphe Belmer, who was the number two at Canal Plus, did like a study program in LA here and went to see a lot of the companies, uh, investment companies, network companies that were active in the active in the area. And when he came back, we had a long conversation about, in particular, Maker Studio. And, and we realized, and I realized when I went, went there, that it was a, not only 
a lot of uh, millions of eyeballs happening, but also a whole lot of new formats. And formats and, and programming types is the is the growl that any TV network uh, wants to get. And there is there was much more proliferation of new types of content, new types of stars in that world than in the TV world. And then the means of production also were much more simple and cheap. And it wasn't about the production value as much as uh, the audiences, the engagement. And we found that that was definitely something worth not only looking into, but investing for an all media company. And then six months later, they sold to Disney. Wow. <laughs> and how is Canal Plus doing today with its online video efforts? Canal Plus with the Vivendi uh, approach has changed a lot since I've left. And I think uh, one of the efforts that they've done with uh, buying Dailymotion is actually building their own video platform that would be much broader than what the, the TV channel is, much more international as well. They've also worked on uh, creating some new OTT uh, platforms with, uh, with a new application that would be available not only in France, like Canal Play, but also outside of France. So I think they're really going in the right direction, uh, trying to own uh, not only content, but also platforms. So in October 2014, you struck out on your own to launch a creator network. What motivated you to start TubiTube? So Bastian and I know each other from my A&E days, so it's been like more than 15 years. He was actually one of the first people I did a deal with because he was working uh, for a company that was doing IPTV content and technology. And he was looking for some content to put on a platform. I think it was Fastweb at the time in Italy when they started their IPTV efforts. We met there, we did a deal, so we probably have our signatures, both our signatures on a contract back from uh, 15 years ago. And since then, we've been, uh, we stayed friends, uh, met at trade events, and we've kept talking. And he's been since then a serial entrepreneur. I've been since then a, a serial big media company type of person. But we kept talking about, you know, startups, the evolving media landscape. And when I did my experience with the MCNs, with Maker Studio and Studio Bagel, I told him about it. And he was living at, uh, in Madrid at the time. And we looked into the Spanish-speaking world and realized that all that uh, activity in the network and in the talents world was not really happening in, in his territory and in the Spanish language territory. And that Spanish language is a huge opportunity worldwide with 500 million people talking Spanish around the world, and that's how To Be True was born. Wow, that's fantastic. <laughs> well, it's hard not to be friends with Bastian. He has the most energy and probably the biggest smile of anyone I've ever met. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And, uh, and, and yeah, it's a, I, I, I'm sure you've heard a lot of people say that, but when you think of starting a business or a startup, it's not easily that, that ideas are concrete ideas that have... A development potential, a commercial potential come up. Like you can have a lot of ideas, but you already see millions of competitors or other people who have much more uh, money doing it. But really, when you look at when we started uh, to be tube, there were maybe 50 networks in, in the US, I think, because YouTube at the time had spent some money with original content uh, initiative. They had spent some money in, in the US, in the UK, in France. And I think that raised a little bit the, the attention on that landscape. A lot of production companies starting uh, putting a foot into original production for online platforms. Uh, and somehow they haven't spent that type of money in Spain or anywhere in Latin America. So 
in those countries, I'm not saying there is no competition, there is a lot of competition, but it was still much more nascent than in the English-speaking world or the big European territories. So that's how uh, we saw the opportunity. Wow. So you really did a comprehensive analysis of the landscape and what was going on at the time and, and decided that the Spanish market offered the most opportunity for you. And you, how long have you spoken Spanish? Since I started with YouTube. Wow. So you taught yourself. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Actually, I was just speaking Spanish in the Uber coming here, and I was really proud because the lady that I was driving gave me some congratulations about my Spanish stuff. That's phenomenal. <laughs> and Bastien? I, and Bastien has been living in uh, in Madrid for more than 15 years, so mm-hmm. he's much more, uh, it's much better. His Spanish much better than my. And you're based in Miami? I'm based in Miami. I spend my time half uh, in Miami and half in Mexico because we have a lot of development in Latin America. If you want to talk a little bit about TubeTube and how it's grown, uh, representing 250 channels in our TubeTube network, which is the main one, we also have 250 channels in Tubi Academy, which is the network for people who are starting on YouTube and want to grow, but we don't have the, the views yet. Uh, what we really spend a lot of time on is the knowledge of our talents. We have a great talent management in all three territories, and we know all the talents. We talk to them weekly, uh, monthly, and we help them uh, do two things, grow their audiences and, and grow their revenues. And I think at the core, we're a very talent management focused company. Most of our talent managers are talent themselves. Some of them are really big talents with uh, with with large channel of more than 500,000 subscribers, they understand the talent issues and preoccupations at the core. As uh, founders and as managers, what we try to do is really give the talents a world where they can collaborate or where they can grow and really ultimately where they can make a living out of their uh, creativity and their hard work. Because we all, what I haven't said is that we also work in territories where monetization is complicated. And that's also why uh, not a lot of companies have decided to invest there because the inventory sell is less at prices that are less high than in the US or in the UK, for instance. The branded content is kind of started with a few global companies, but it hasn't reached all the brands yet. And uh, the rest of the distribution potential, merchandising, books, concerts, or distribution to TV is also emerging. So our job is really to um, not only help the talents, but also raise the knowledge of this new world to the old world, which is a little bit further away from the new talents that are the YouTubers or, uh, or people on social networks than in countries like the US or, or, or Europe. And that is the world that you come from, right? With the traditional entertainment backgrounds. Yeah. How was making that transition, and, and more importantly, how was it making the transition from working in a large bureaucratic organization to becoming a founder and being an entrepreneur for the first time? It's at the same time absolutely fascinating because the speed at which you're going is your own speed, which uh, if you've worked in large corporation is not the case in most of the large corporation where you really have to fight against a lot of roadblocks before getting an idea to the realization level. That's the great aspect of it. The not so great aspect of it are, is that you have to do everything. You have to go from being your own accountant to doing your HR to doing your PR, your marketing. And and again, I think in the countries where we are the most challenging is that both me and Bastian, because we have a media background, we know that these audiences that exist in the in the online world will translate into uh, a business. 
We all translate into a talent business, a media business, and we believe, uh, we strongly believe that this uh, huge shift that has happened at the birth of cable like 20 years ago when companies like A&E, like Discovery, Nagio were founded, is happening again with the networks and the new online brands and the new uh, media consumption. But we are in territories where a lot of people still see that as the future or they still, you know, some people have this uh, come to Jesus moment where they see it with their kids or they see it with the numbers they see on YouTube. But in the territories where you are, where we are, a lot of people talk about it like the future. That's the challenging part is that you are in a world that's really happening, that's really moving, where the audiences are really engaged, where you raise, you know, like 300 million views a month. Uh, some of your top talents have channels that are bigger than 10, 20, 30 million views a month. And you are still, we're still working at getting uh, the more than 30 years old people know that this is not the future. This is actually happening and that they need to, we need to teach them all the, you know, the, the strategies around marketing, around influencers marketing, around branded content. We start at step at zero. That's the lag between uh, the actual market position and what we know of the market evolution, which, which is a lot of evangelization and which is the most challenging aspect. And it sounds like you're doing that all across Latin America. So certainly in Spain and Mexico, but are you representing talent and, and telling the story and educating brands and media companies all over Latin America? Yeah, absolutely. We have just launched a marketing outreach to the brands and uh, the people who are the decision maker in brands and agencies in Spain. And we're going to do the same for U.S. Hispanic in the U.S. as well as, uh, as the rest of Latin America. But again, it's very different level. If you talk to a global company like a Coca-Cola, like we work with Netflix, we work with PlayStation, this type of engagement with audiences is very close to their hearts because they hear it from headquarters, then they roll it out locally. And then if we talk to some if you talk to some local agencies that may be at the social media level, but they haven't really reached the influencers level, they use these video creators as bloggers to invite them into events and doing something around a hashtag. So we have to do a lot of evangelization to get them to understand that there is content strategies that's not only doing a hashtag and inviting someone to a party, it's having a long-term strategy around content creation. So yeah, it's it's evangelization through all the markets. The markets are very different. There are some uh, agencies that are pan-regional and then there are a lot of decision that happen on the local level in Colombia and Argentina, particularly where the some of the two of the bigger markets. And yeah, it's a long process to get these people to be on board. And 18 months in, you're already managing a global business, a distributed team. What are the challenges associated with working across time zones and people in all these different territories? I think one thing that we really benefit from is that we have a very young team. So these guys are used to work with all the technology that's 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 at their disposal so we're always on skype on google hangout on whatsapp and we we try to time regular like you guys i'm sure conference calls so that we can all be in sync so that's not that complicated the part that's more challenging is that again because the team is really excellent but they really come from the talent side there is a lot of learning about uh getting a bigger company, setting up processes, uh, making sure that everyone is, in the, in, is on the same page. So working on communication, working on HR issues, that, that is part of the startup life and that you don't have to deal with a big company because there is always someone else to do it. 
Whereas as a founder of a smaller company, as you grow, you have really to make sure that everyone is on board, that there is a clear line of uh, grow path for growth, and that the communication and the processes are growing with the needs of the company. Now we're about 50 people across the three markets. We have some people uh, in Barcelona, for instance, so we have even more offices than more, more, we cover even more geographical location than we have offices. So yeah, it, it is a, it is a challenge. And, and I think that's one of the thing that we both Bastian and I need to think about every month to make sure that we adapt uh, what we do in the, in the company with, um, with, with its growth. Yeah, it seems like with a startup, almost the major uh, issues are internal rather than external. There, of course, we're in the midst of a changing media landscape and where there's a lot of competition and other things happening. But uh, to truly build an effective business, it's all about getting the, the basics in order in-house, in, in right? Yeah. So it's, a, it's like your day, you go from the small issues, which no issue is small, to the bigger strategic issues to see, you know, like what the brands are doing. So to try to stay creative, to paying the bills, to... I don't know, ordering computers. <laughs> That's part of, I think, what's interesting as well, is that you get to see all the all the sides of business. And I must say that on my side, I've been learning a lot from uh, working with the whole team because, again, they're very uh, young and they're very, uh, they, they don't have to learn a lot about digital platforms, about consumption habits, about their, their, their millennial themselves. So that's something that's very different from a big company where you actually spend your life evangelizing that digital is not the new thing, it's in the actual world. Whereas, yeah, it's, uh, you, you, you reverse the, the, the problematic, I guess. But at least in your company, you work with people who, who get that new landscape as a given. They don't have an issue with that. They're not saying it's the future, it's their daily life. What you have to deal with is the, as a, defining a strategy for, for everyone to go. Uh, in the same direction. Your company description proclaims 2B2 to be the most ambitious network network of channels and talents dedicated to Spanish language creators, which I absolutely love. So what fuels that ambition? I think we started from no thing. We always had aggressive goals because I think one thing that's key is to differentiate ourselves and prove that we have some value, uh, some value added to uh, we can bring some added value to our to our talents and to our network. So we're ambitious because we're in the talent management business. We manage people who are very ambitious themselves. So we have to show them that we have the best team, that we have the best tools to provide them, that we have the best market, uh, commercial team. We work with great brands and we're going to help them um, make a living out of what they do. And we're going to bring them to new platforms To uh, we, as we have good links with TV and what we see in the US that's really interesting is that more and more online talents are translating into the TV and the movie landscape and creating new shows and, and that these new formats are traveling a lot in the old media as well. We have to have that belief and we have to show that we're able to do that in order to keep working with the most ambitious talent. So I would say we're the most ambitious networks, but we also want to work with the most ambitious talents that, as uh, Bastian keeps saying, other ones who are ta- not only talented, but hardworking and passionate about what they do. And with our job is really to identify them and help them grow as fast as uh, they need to grow, and I think uh, I think you cannot do that in that world by staying just the 
network, just a YouTube company, you have to evolve and bring them to new platforms, give them new commercial opportunities and give them also new ways to grow their creativity in a different type of program genre with different collaborations. Sometimes open the channel in English, sometimes travel to a different country to go to trade events to be in front of brands. That's why we, the, our ambition is fueling our talent's ambitions, I think. What a great mission statement. I, love that. <laughs> I think it's incredible. It sounds very good. What are you and the 2B2 team focused on for the future? As I was telling you, really think learning more about our talents and, and, and learning how to help them grow. And for me, learning of our different offices and what we found out working with the talents and trying to transfer that to everyone else in the team is, is key. And the second the second aspect is the what I was saying is the distribution to other media platform, which I think right now every day you hear of a new OTT platform, you need hear of a new TV show that involves uh, digital, uh, originally digital talents. You hear of a new launch of brand, of makeup product, of uh, merchandising, uh, of a new concerts around YouTubers. Like there is a lot of uh, uh, what we call diversification uh, opportunities that are happening. And our job is not only to be very local and locally help them with the marketing team, the production studio, but also my my work and Bastian's work is to be very global and keep looking for the best technology, the best ways to diversify and the more efficient ones because we cannot just provide 100 solutions. We want to provide like five that will work and that will help our talents grow grow faster than the other ones. So I think we, we really want to uh, to focus on that. And then the other things that we've uh, we've started doing successfully, and that's always a challenge, but that's always fascinating, is creating our own program. We spend our days and lives watching YouTube and YouTubers and, and, and videos on YouTube, but also on Facebook on you now. And we've launched a channel around uh, football that's became uh, that's called Campeones, that became the the first channel about football without having football images uh, on YouTube in less than six months around three very talented uh, guys who are the host, around shows, uh, programs like, uh, formats like Drama Life of famous uh, sports celebrities. Now we've spun out a Drama Life in Espanol, which is Drama Life, which are biographies of celebrities from uh, soccer to uh, singers to artists. And that was successful. I think it just, we just went over the million of views uh, this month. And the idea is to keep uh, trying to produce our own uh, content and be successful at it. You mentioned a lot of kind of emerging digital trends that seem like they're potentially going to have an impact on your business in the future. Things like live streaming, multi-platform with Facebook and Twitch and other things like that. What are you keeping an eye on? What are the trends you're excited about in the digital space? I think live is something that uh, has started in the video games with Twitch. Uh, now is uh, is continuing with the engagement on you now. Uh, is continuing with Facebook, the giant, uh, making a real push. Uh, YouTube as well. I think we thought that online video was all about on demand and where whatever it was that we said with uh, wherever wherever whenever whatever but now we realize that there is a power of live uh, in the digital platforms as well and that engagement and appointment viewing in a way is uh, is back in a big way in a different way our talents were really involved in again video gaming with switch or entertainment with you now or hopefully other things on Facebook are really big on the added dimension to their contact with their fans and to their contact with their audiences. 
And of course, brands are really big on live too, because the issue with uh, on demand is that you never know when the views will happen. Whereas with live, you can really create trending topics and you can really create a lot of uh, talks at one point of time about a product, uh, a brand. So I think there will be a lot of attention on brand, not only because of audience pickup, but also because it's something that commercially is very attractive to brands and to media companies. I think the point you make about engagement with live is so important because it's a, another step in the evolution of creating real-time audience engagement and interaction and even shaping the content, right? Telling me what I should broadcast about or changing the flow of the conversation because the audience can engage. Yeah, it's going, it's going faster, bigger more engaging in a very concrete way and we see it with uh, it's like video 10 years ago it feels like every message was going from print or from from uh, writing to video and now it feels like video is transforming it into life and then i would say the next uh, the other thing that i'm looking at personally and that's a little bit that's fascinating to me is the whole uh virtual reality environment Again, Facebook announced the launch of an amazing camera. I think what has been done right so far with VR is a lot of um, exploration and a lot of uh, look at what we can create. I think it's missing the engagement of influencers. It's missing the, the audience part. Right now, it's a little bit in the exploration phase. And I think when you mix live virtual reality and talents, you'll have something that will uh, not only create great content, but be able to drive audiences. I don't know what that is yet, but I'm really eager to find out. And the practical applications, even beyond the entertainment use cases for VR, AR, 360 video are tremendous. Yeah. So I agree, it's, it's really exciting. To yeah, I think, I mean, you know, when I was at Canal Plus and we had rights for football, it was like, how do you get every one of your subscribers to say, sit at the front row of... Madrid, Barcelona for from yesterday, you know, like that type of promise, uh, how for products you can test a car without even being in a car or how for kids you can do a, a sea exploration, underwater exploration from your class, you know, like you can see all that so far because of the delay in the technology, the delay in the quality, everything is kind of burgeoning, but I think it's going to be uh, really big in the it's, it's going to grow to some kind of audience mass adoption. It seems like this year and next are really the years of VR, that finally the technology is at a point where mass adoption is practical and we're going to see some really cool applications. Yeah, I mean, I remember it was at a South by Southwest like three years ago, the first time I experienced uh, a VR, and it was so long for them to release like a consumer-ready product. That it's a lot of wait and see and wait and let's see what happens. And the technology was there, but like I was saying with the mobile, when the battery wasn't there yet, so you had to have a little bit of a, of a crystal ball future looking to, to think about what it could become. And again, if you, we always, Bastian always says that we go from content is king to audience is king, because we believe that even if we, whatever we feel about content, what really should drive our decision is data and audiences, and that's what this new landscape is also shifting. And on VR, we, we miss that audience. We miss we're, we're part of the content and the technology, but we miss the actual product to see what people will want to watch. And that's going to be interesting. Well, let's switch gears a little bit. I understand that you enjoy kickboxing and capoeira, <laughs> a Brazilian martial art form. How did you get interested in that? I did capoeira when I was in New York. Because friends are friends, because it's a very varied martial art. It's not only fighting and sportsy and good for your heart and your general health, but you also learn about a culture. You also learn Portuguese. Uh, there is a lot of music involved. Most people don't really like the music, but when you do capoeira, you have to play and sing. Like 
it's a very uh, all-encompassing uh, sport. And I think that's what I really liked about it. It's like YouTube. It's like a world when you enter it, everything around around you transforms into, into that world. So Capoeira was that. that it was really good. So yeah. Do you still do it? I still do Thai boxing now. Oh, uh, okay. <laughs> Which is because just because when I moved, it's so much like a religion, like a group. Like when you move cities, I didn't find it. When I moved to Paris, the same vibe I had with the group I was with in New York. But uh, I kept the martial art part with the with the boxing. What books have you read recently that you've really enjoyed? I'm reading uh, some novels from Gabriel Garcia Marquez at, right now. Of Love and Other Stories. And I really enjoy, yeah, there is a, a great French writer, which is called Michel Houellebecq, who, who is always talking about how the world is coming to an end and with everything that's difficult right now with the issues with uh, wars and uh, religions. Uh, it's a little bit uh, of a Kafka look at the future, mm. thinking about societal issues. And that's, a, I've read all of them like in the past six months and that was fascinating. Wow. Again, we come, we come back to trying to understand what the future is going to be made of. And that's what we work on all day as well. Well, sounds like you're getting a bit of a departure. (laughs) What's coming next? If you had to make three predictions about our industry, what would they be? So if I go back to what I was saying about 20 years ago, there was a massive shift from network television to cable. I think we haven't finished seeing the shift from traditional media companies are they going to be able to get into that new landscape or are we going to see new brands and new content creators uh, coming up and I think in 10 years when we talk about it again the big companies will have changed not only will you have the Google and the Facebook being the biggest technology companies but we'll, you'll probably have some some networks or some brands becoming the new content reference for millennials and for the next generation to come. I think the democratization of content hasn't ended. I think there is a lot of places like Africa, like little villages in in, in France or in Latin America that don't have access to the internet, uh, that South don't East have Asia, access Southeast Asia, that don't have access to cheap uh, phones that can record video. And that from that world, you'll probably see a second wave of talents coming that have a different type of stories to share. So that's two. And that's it. Okay. Yeah, great, great predictions. We'll stay tuned to see what happens there. And if you were starting a business in the online video space today, what would you do? Obviously, you're to be the to be tube. Knowing what you know now, what you've learned. I think there are still. I, I think we've uh, we've managed in the past uh, year and a half to create a brand and, and a family. Our talents talk about the to-be family that has differentiated us uh, in the territories where we are, where we really are not only a talent management company or a content production company, but also a family that talents can figure uh, can belong and can take part of and grow with us or then without us. But I think that philosophy is something that we've created in the countries where we are, but maybe we would love to create it in other places because it's really what differentiated us and it's really what makes me wake up in the morning is when I see these things on Twitter that says, oh my gosh, I was accepted in 2B, I'm now part of the family and they're really proud of it. And I hope we help them in that sense. So there is really a a lot of uh, enthusiasm around that. I think there is a whole world of diversification around events, concerts, around really thinking about these talents as the new stars and helping them be the stars that they are in the online world, in the real world, creating product, doing conferences, doing 
music shows, one uh, stand-up comedy, you know, like that we still have to explore. And we see a lot of burgeoning talent that have this ability or this uh, envy and that we have to help grow into that direction. And then again, uh, finding the next formats that are successful not only on YouTube, but that are exportable to TV. I think that there is a little gap into what TV is showing and what's happening online. And we haven't bridged it because a lot of things haven't exported themselves because they haven't been adapted with that online knowledge and TV knowledge. And that a lot of creativity will happen in the next few years from that. I think as the quality of UGC programming, it continues to improve. And as more OTT and SVOD services are launched, we're going to see a natural bridge of that gap. It's still very early days, but the number of people who are taking a swing at that, I think you'll certainly see uh, more digital content ending up on TV. Yeah, exactly. And, And I'm not saying that that would be the end goal, but it's like a transformation of content. It's like there is an audience that's very young. There is content that's very... Uh, coming from one person. We have to group these people to create new type of content, new type of formats that are more serialized and that don't appeal only to millennials, but appeal to the broader audience to find the next big hit shows. And I think the next big hit shows that still are on TV will come more and more, not only from talents, but from uh, that type of formats that we see surging every day on YouTube and that don't have the, uh, the equivalent on what is still mass entertainment, which is television or even movies. So I think that's gonna, that landscape is really going to change. We're going to go from daytime television and uh, late night shows to something completely different thanks to uh, the huge audiences that are, that are online. Yeah, I agree. We'll look forward to that. And where can people find out more about you and more about TubiTube? Okay, we're everywhere. TubiTube.com, on Twitter, uh, username is Tubi, Instagram, Studio, and Facebook, TubiTube. And we're also on Vine and Snapchat and you now under TubiTube, I think. Awesome. Yeah, Go out there and engage with Fabienne with TubiTube Networks all over social. And we have a great team that's very uh, involved in, in social networks and we're, we're trying to be good at answering questions and being uh, very open in our communication with people who want to learn more about us. So all the information is out there, very available. Well, thank you. As you know, I've been waiting to do this interview with you for such a long time because we've been wanting to align schedules and get together and do this properly in person. And so... Thank you so much. It's been absolutely phenomenal. I've enjoyed watching your business transform over the past 18 months and so excited to continue to watch the future growth and success. No, thank you. The same for me. I've been listening. I'm like a little fan, you know, I'm, I'm a groupie. I've been listening to podcasts for like 10 years. Uh, I, I started with a podcast that's called This Week in Tech. Now I listen to all things video with you like almost every week. So I'm really honored well, to, be, uh, to be invited. Thank you so much. Thanks for tuning in. I'm James Creech, and this has been another edition of All Things Video. If you like what you hear, we hope you'll share and subscribe for new episodes. See you next time.